great cities. People flock to them. Great cities have a means of attracting population. For some reason, great cities have a, a, one major problem. They keep growing. And I was going to talk to you about the greatness of our own city, Austin, until I was reminded of Dubai and how much there is a, there's a greater city out there who attracts even more people than Austin does. But if you've never been to Dubai and don't have a comparison with that, you might still think Austin is one of the fastest growing cities in this nation. It is a growing city. Um, people love cities. Uh, it attracts culture. It attracts civilization. It attracts businesses. It attracts human flourishing. It attracts people who want to make a living and increase their level of income. Uh, big cities, growing cities, uh, provide, at least for a time, uh, what looks like financial stability. Uh, it provides for what, what looks like to be a good investment. Great cities, in large part, are a big attraction point. Great cities um, are also found in Scripture. But oftentimes, uh, when the great cities are mentioned in the Bible, Sadly, they are mentioned not as a positive, but as a negative. And this morning, we are going to look at a great city, the great city that Revelation speaks about. And this morning, we're going to look at the judgment of the great city. Even though the great city is very attractive to the world, even though it attracts a population of the world to, to join its ways of living, it attracts the the influencers of the world, and from it, great cities influence the world. This morning, we are going to look at the judgment of the great city. And that passage is found in Revelation chapter 17, verse 1 through the end of the chapter. If you don't have a Bible, you may find this passage on page number 1037. We encourage you to open the Bible, uh, in, in a pew Bible, if you don't have one, and follow along uh, as we read God's Word and as we will hear uh, a message from, from the Lord uh, from this particular text. Here is God's word for us this morning. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bulls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup, full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman, drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. When I saw her, I marveled greatly. But the angel said to me, Why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast with seven heads and ten horns that carries her. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. 
and the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman is seated. There are also seven kings, five of whom have fallen. One is, the other has not yet come. And when he does come, he must remain only a little while. As for the beast that was and is not, it is an eighth, but it belongs to the seven. And it goes to destruction. And the ten horns that you saw are ten kings who have not yet received royal power. But they are to receive authority as kings for one hour together with a beast. These are of one mind, and they hand over their power and authority to the beast. They will make war on the Lamb, and the Lamb will conquer them. For he is the Lord of lords and King of kings, and those with him are called chosen and faithful. And the angel said to me, The waters that you saw, Where the prostitute is seated are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. And the ten horns that you saw, they and the beast will hate the prostitute. They will make her desolate and naked and devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose by being of one mind and handing over their royal power to the beast until the words of God are fulfilled. And the woman that you saw is the great city that has dominion over the kings of the earth. Amen. This is God's word for us this morning. Would you pray for God to speak to our hearts through the preaching of his word? Our Father in heaven, you reveal your word to us. You reveal the mysteries that we would not otherwise understand except by your revelation. We pray that the mystery that we read about in this passage would alert us, would caution us, would instruct us and warn us so that your people may not marvel at what this world marvels. We pray that you would do so for the glory of your great name and for the building up of your people. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Last week, we arrived in the book of Revelation at the end of the 21 judgments that have been uh, the major segment, the major part of the book of Revelation. All the way from from chapter 4, when we were introduced to the the throne room of God, uh, to chapter 16, when we completed the three cycles of seven judgments, Um, we have seen this theme of God's judgment upon the earth. As part of the last bowl of the last cycle of seven judgments, we were told that part of the the judgment of God that comes upon the earth through the seventh bowl of judgment is that the great city uh, would be split in three. Look look with me just to chapter 16, verse uh, verse 19. Because in the seventh bowl, there's a reference to the great city that was split in three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. And God remembered Babylon the Great to make her drain uh, the, the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. In chapter 17 and 18, 
we are given the details of the judgment of God upon the great city. What was briefly mentioned, what was in passing mentioned in, in Revelation 16 with the end of the, the final bowl of God's judgment, is now unfolding for us in chapter 17 and chapter 18. God is revealing to us the way He is judging the great city. The, the great city is the, key, the city of the kingdom of the beast. And here in Revelation 17, this great city is personified through a promiscuous woman, a prostitute, or a harlot. Now, this is not the only time in the book of Revelation where cities are personified as women. A few chapters later, in Revelation 21, the city of God, the city of God's kingdom, the new Jerusalem, is going to appear. And in Revelation 21, the city of God, the new Jerusalem, is personified as a woman. Listen how John describes that city. Revelation 21.9, John writes, Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven, pl the seven last plagues, and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper clear as crystal. In other words, in these last chapters of the book of Revelation, we see a contrast between two women, which represent two cities. Babylon the Great on one side, and the New Jerusalem on the other side. And each of these cities is described through the portrait of a woman. On one side, a harlot. On the other side, a pure bride. And John wants his hearers, and God wants us to understand that the contrast between the two kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the beast, is not just a contrast between two cities, it's also a contrast between two women, a harlot and a bride. And we're going to be asked to consider of which do we want to belong? To which, which one are we following? With which are we identifying ourselves with? The vision of the harlot is introduced in chapter 17, and it will take us to chapter 18, and then it will prepare the way to chapter 21 later in the book. But the vision of the harlot, introduced in chapter 17, gives us and goes straight to the point. So that if we understand very little after chapter 17 and chapter 18, at least we should get what, chapter, what verse 1 is saying. And this is, this is the message that the woman harlot, the harlot woman, is going to be judged. Verse 1, Come and I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute. And the details of her judgment are unpacked in chapter 18. But here in, verse, in chapter 17, we see a sketch of why the judgment takes place and how it takes place. If you'd like to take notes, we're going to look at two major points in this passage about the harlot. 
about this prostitute, about this great city that is personified through a harlot. And here's the first point. Here's the first point. The harlot has great influence, but a dangerous one. The harlot has great influence, but a dangerous one. Second, the harlot's influence is self-destructive. The harlot's influence is self-destructive. As we look at these points, I pray that the Lord would help us see and awaken our consciences to understand how serious it is to, to take the path of compromising with the world, of taking the path of unfaithfulness to God, of thinking about unfaithfulness in a light matter. I hope that this picture will, will be so visceral for us that the Lord would use it to, to encourage us, to warn us, to instruct us in a path of faithfulness to the Lord. Point number one, the harlot has great influence, but a dangerous one. We see in verses uh, 1 through 5, um, in particular, we see the dangers that this woman has. They are, they are, they are, there's an influence that she has that this world appreciates. And then there's going to be another influence that we're going to see in, in verse 6. And together, verses 1 through 6, we see a description of this, of this woman and of her characteristics that make her both attractive for the world, but also concerning for us, the people of God. There's five characteristics in the first six verses about this woman. Why is, she, why is her influence great? Well, the great harlot lures the entire world to follow her path of harlotry. We see this in verse 2. This woman influences the earth to live sinfully, and in rebellion against God. She's able to influence both the common people of the earth and also the kings of the earth. There's no social stratus that this woman does not have access to. She is actually described at the end of the chapter as the woman who has dominion over the kings of the earth. This woman is a powerful woman. She has the ability to influence both the lowly and the powerful. Her sinful influence upon the earth is described as making the people of the earth drunk with the wine of her sexual immorality. Now the language of sexual immorality or playing the harlot is not limited only to the physical acts of sexual unfaithfulness. It includes also um, other dimensions of life, particularly for the people of God, that relate to acts of unfaithfulness to the Lord, whatever those acts of unfaithfulness could be. In the Old Testament, the language of playing the harlot is used most often to speak about God's people turning away from God and following other idols. That's a language of, of harlotry, of of people playing the whore, is when they turn away from the Lord and are unfaithful to the Lord. Let me just give you a few examples. Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 16, And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, you are about to lie down with your fathers. Then this people will rise and whore after the foreign gods among them in the land that they are entering. 
So the language of playing the harlot was used from early on to describe the unfaithful people of God who are turning away from the Lord. Or consider Isaiah 1, 21. The, uh, the prophet Isaiah says, Oh, how the faithful city has become a whore. She who was full of justice, righteousness lodged in her, but now murderers. Here the city, in this passage, the city of Jerusalem was, was described as a whore because of their unfaithfulness to God. Now part of the reason why unfaithfulness to God is described in the Bible as playing the harlot is in order to show us how serious it is to turn away from the Lord and from His commands. Idolatry and unfaithfulness to God is as serious to our spiritual lives as playing the harlot. Because in God's eyes, that's exactly what unfaithfulness to the Lord is. Playing the harlot. Another reason why using the imagery of, of harlotry is appropriate for, um, for unfaithfulness to the Lord is because harlots expected some sort of material benefit from their harlotry. And it's this lure of material benefits so associated, so often associated with harlotry that is also brought up in the book of Revelation as the book of Revelation exposes the strategy of the beast and of the harlot to use material luxury, materialism and material benefits to lure people in and to turn them away from serving the Lord faithfully. In other words, idolatry lures us with promises of, of benefits, material and otherwise. So friends, breaking God's covenant it's always done in, in, some, in light of some benefit that we seem more appealing to our hearts. And if our hearts are attached to materialism, to the material benefits of this world, friends, we are going to be an easy target for the harlot to capture us, to snare us in its traps. A second reason why the harlot's influence is dangerous is because the harlot is associated with a beast. In verse 3, John sees the woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names. And it had the beast had seven heads and ten horns. The woman's influence is associated with a beast. She is riding this beast. Now this is important for it tells us that the woman is carrying out the beast's agenda and is operating in the beast's power. Now, we have already been introduced to the beast in Revelation uh, 13. We have seen that the beast is a ferocious uh, being that unites with the dragon and the false prophet as an unholy trinity to, to compete with a holy trinity to make the dwellers of the earth uh, turn away from the Lord. Here we see that the beast appears again, and this time the beast is used by the harlot to get the people of the earth to join in the harlotry that she is promoting. Later on, we are going to be told more about the beast because the beast has a very important role in this chapter. 
But for now, the point is that the harlot is carrying out the beast's agenda, making the people of the world live out the values of the kingdom of the beast. So the way of spiritual harlotry, it really is the way of the beast. Following the beast's agenda is carried out through acts of unfaithfulness to God. So if you may wonder, well, how, how do I know if I'm following the beast or not? Or how do I know if I'm following the, the harlot or not? Consider, are there ways in which you are with good conscience or with, con- with consciousness you are following unfaithfully uh, in unfaithfulness to the Lord in whatever ways that looks like for your life? That is a path of, of the harlot. That is a path of, of the beast. A third reason why her influence is dangerous is because her attire and her cup reveal her ways. In verse 3 and 4, we see a detailed description of her attire. She's dressed in purple and scarlet. These are colors of royalty and wealth. Uh, God has given similar clothing to Jerusalem in the Old Testament to build her up, to make her like a royal city. But sadly, sadly, the city of Jerusalem in the Old Testament, even though it was clothed by God with such garments uh, and, and such jewelry, uh, the city of, of, of Jerusalem has turned against the Lord. Listen to just a few verses from Ezekiel 16, verses 16 through 18. Um, it, the book of Ezekiel describes um, Jerusalem as having been built up by God, dressed up by the Lord, ornated by the Lord, And then she used those ornaments and her clothing to become a prostitute. How sad that we are tempted to turn God's blessings into idols. What the Lord gives us, we are tempted to turn into idols. And when we do that, we play the harlot, turning what God has given us, and beginning to replace those blessings with God. um, And dethrone God and use those blessings instead. The harlot's luxury makes her very attractive. She comes across as successful and appealing. Friends, it's important for us to observe that this harlot looks incredibly attractive and successful and appealing. Sin often does the same thing to us. It looks attractive. It looks desirous. This is a warning for us not to make judgments based on appearances, what looks appealing to our own eyes. And notice the details of the cup of this woman. She holds a golden cup, which matches with her luxurious attire. Everything looks good about this cup until you look at what's inside. And what this cup of gold, which looks desirous, looks royal, we find out it's filled, cup full of abominations. Look at verse 4, abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. Her sins are described as as an abomination and an impurity. What is an abomination? An abomination is an act that is offensive and detestable to God. An impurity is also that which is no longer clean, pure. It's something that's compromised. Now, both of these categories are important for describing sin and rebellion against God. Sin makes us impure. It stains us. And sin also is an abomination to God. Why are these two descriptions, impurity and abomination, used to describe the the actions of this woman? 
because the harlot's actions are a big contrast with the city of the New Jerusalem. In Revelation 21, verse 27, we find out that nothing unclean will ever enter into that new city, nor anyone who does what is an abomination, what is detestable. To follow the harlot's way of life, to drink of her cup, makes us drunk with those impurities. It's a way of saying when you begin the walk of unfaithfulness to God, it makes you lose sense of your senses. The path of unfaithfulness to God, dear friends, has the effect on us of making us drunk with that unfaithfulness so that we lose our judgment, our ability to really understand what is faithful and what is not. Have you heard people say even, and I've heard it at times, people would come with a particular sin pattern and come and, and speak to me about it and say, Pastor, I prayed about it, and the Lord said it's okay for me to do this. And I'm thinking, which Lord have you prayed to? Which God, which, which, which idol have you, have you prayed to? Because the God of the Bible would never condone this act. But they, with, with what looks like a good conscience, they would just come and say, I am totally good about it because I prayed about it. And I think this is fine. And you say, how can this be possible? And the answer is, well, they've just become drunk with that unfaithfulness. They have lost touch with what is truly true. Friends, unfaithfulness to God makes us drunk to the place that it makes us lose our senses with what is truly true. That's why it's a, it's a caution for us when we see unfaithfulness in our own hearts or lives. We should, not, we should not explain it away. We should not hide it. We should not find excuses for it because the more excuses we find, the more drunk we're going to become with the influence of that unfaithfulness. The harlot is, it looks appealing. She looks extravagant. She, even her cup looks attractive to drink from. It's a golden cup. But the content of what she gives to others to drink makes them drunk with her sexual immorality, with her unfaithfulness. A fourth reason why the harlot is dangerous is revealed through the name on her forehead. Look at verse 5. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great, mother of prostitutes and earth's abominations. In other words, this personified woman of the city of the beast is not the only harlot on earth. And that's important for us to realize. She not only is not a, the only harlot, she's not only a harlot for herself, she's also a harlot for others. She's the one who gives birth to the harlots of the earth. She's the one who gives birth to the abominations taking place on earth. This woman is a personified woman who is the source of all that goes corrupt around this earth. And she is not content to be a harlot alone. Her, her, her mission is to get others to join in her harlotry so that she acquires the name of the mother of harlots. Beware, dear friends, of this harlot who wants to seduce the earth, who wants to seduce you and I to join in the same path of her harlotry. 
which is dangerous. Fifth reason why the harlot is dangerous is because she opposes God's people. For those who will not take the path of her harlotry, if she can't corrupt the people of God, she will kill them. In verse 6, John saw the cruelty of this harlot towards those who refuse her ways. John writes, And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. Now, the word for the martyrs of Jesus is not a very good translation here. It really should say the witnesses of Jesus. Both the saints of God and the witnesses of Jesus are both killed and martyred in this context. Both categories become martyrs because the harlot cannot stand allowing God's people to resist her invites or to expose her impurities. The witnesses of Jesus are those who have the testimony that Jesus has borne. And those who hold on to the testimony of Jesus, no matter what the cost is, even if it costs them their lives. And the book of Revelation, when we see the phrase, the testimony of Jesus, it refers to the revelation of God that Jesus came to bear witness to and to confront the deception of the world. So the harlot would rather exterminate those who have the testimony borne by Jesus, who promote that testimony, and who are faithful to that testimony. The harlot would rather have them out to exterminate those who would expose her harlotry, to to expose those who, who, who who would renounce her ways. She does not want to have an alternative way on the earth. So, therefore, she is presented as being drunk with the blood of the saints and the blood of the witnesses of Jesus. She knows no limit in killing God's people. And John's reaction to the sight of this great harlot is one of great marvel. Look at verse 6. When I saw her, I marveled greatly. John was told that he is getting a vision of the judgment of the harlot. But so far, in the first six verses, all he gets to see is her influence, her power, the ability she has to lure people of all places of the earth into her harlotry and even, even kill the people of God. This doesn't sound like the judgment of the harlot, does it? No wonder John is perplexed. He marvels. Friends, life on earth for the past 2,000 years has been with a harlot as she's presented in these first six verses. So far, the harlot is living on earth in this vision that John just saw. And it's important for us to realize that so that we would not marvel and that we would not lose hope. As luring, as powerful, as being in control. That's how this harlot appears. And we have to read the end of Revelation 17 to understand what her end will be. And that end is still in the future time for us. Until the the return of Christ, it is easy for us to join in into marveling the power and the attraction and the lure of this harlot. But the angel corrects John's reaction to marvel at the sight of the woman. Look at verse 7. But the angel said to me, Why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman 
and of the beast with the seven heads and ten horns that carries her. In other words, if so far in the first six verses the angel said, I will show you the great prostitute. And so far, we haven't seen any judgment yet. All we've seen is her success, her power. From this point on, the angel says, I will now show you the mystery of the woman and of the beast. And verses 8 through 18, we see the second major part of this chapter. Don't be amazed at the promiscuous woman. Don't be amazed by what she is representing. Don't be lured into her seductive powers. Or don't be threatened and fearful for her murderous acts. Her doom is sure. And her doom is revealed in the rest of chapter 17. The harlot's influence is self-destructive. 